So the title of this morning's message is Unbelieving Believers. Don't let that scare you. (laughs) This morning we're going to continue to look into the book of Hebrews and specifically into chapter 3 where the author reminds his readers not to make the same mistakes their forefathers made by letting fear, doubt, and unbelief cheat them out of the life God had promised them. And as we will see, because the Israelites didn't trust the word of the living God way back there in the Old Testament, they got to roam around the desert for 40 years until the entire generation had perished, Moses included. So the original recipients of the original promise never entered into the life that God had both promised and provided for them. And the author of Hebrews didn't want the Hebrews of his day to fall into the same mindsets, the same deceptions, and thereby miss apprehending their specific promise. So chapter 3 begins with the author reminding his readers that Jesus is far better than Moses (laughs) because Jesus is the faithful son of God over all of God's house. And we together as believers in Christ, we are that house. We are the household of God. It's part of our group identity. Together we are the body or the household of God, whereas Moses was only a faithful servant over the household of God. He wasn't actually the builder or the owner of it. But Jesus is both the builder and the owner. In other words, God is greater. Jesus is greater. (laughs) Everything he does is greater. And he is faithful over all that is his. In other words, he is trustworthy. We can trust what he says. Now, the concept of a group identity was a big deal for the Jews. To them, salvation wasn't just a personal provision. It was also a national one. So being Jewish and participating in the Jewish way of life was a big part of their group identity, their personal identity. But now that they had become believers in Jesus, they needed to transfer their loyalty and identity away from Moses and law-keeping over to Christ, the promised Messiah, the very Son of God, who is in fact the perfect expression and communication of the Father to them and who had himself already purged their sins. Chapter 1, already purged their sins. (laughs) That's an important point. He had already purged their sins and sat down at the right hand of the Father. So they needed to embrace their new identity as the true and better spiritual household of God in and through Christ and completely by faith, not by works. So the author of Hebrews is trying to persuade his readers that in every way possible, Jesus and the new covenant are far better than what the old covenant and Moses had to offer. And in reality, there was really only one choice provided (laughs) for them to actually get a so great salvation. (laughs) There was only one place to get it. There was really only one choice, but they were trying to turn it into two. The real choice was only Jesus. Moses was dead, and so was his covenant. (laughs) There was no going back to a dead Moses and keeping laws. It would not actually provide them with anything, no salvation of any kind, physical or spiritual. Now, the problem with the Hebrews at that time is they had a promise that the judgment is going to fall on Jerusalem, but you don't have to participate. (laughs) 
<laughs> you can go walk right through it unharmed, just like the first exodus. There was another exodus coming. And he says, you can be part of this exodus. But they didn't want to wait for it. <laughs> they wanted it now <laughs> because life was really super, super hard for them. It was not uncommon <laughs> for Christians to end up as torches. <laughs> it wasn't uncommon for a, a Christian to lose their head or be thrown to a line. It wasn't uncommon. So they thought, we have this great idea. We'll just pretend to go back over to Moses. You know, you just sneak back into synagogue and tell him you've been on vacation. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. <laughs> but they thought they could just renounce Jesus and go back to Moses and everything would be fine. And then when the terror of that time was over, they could just sneak back over and go, I was really for Jesus the whole time. <laughs> they could do that. They could do that. But that's what he's trying to tell them. It isn't going to work out the way you think it will work out. What you think is going to keep you safe is going to put you right smack dab in the middle of judgment. Don't try to save yourself. <laughs> they were actually wanting a way to live safely there. They didn't want to move. But instead of trusting the word of Jesus, they had to wait for the sign. He said, there's a sign. You're going to see everything's going to be surrounded by armies, and that's the sign. And that sounds crazy. That's when you're going to deliver us, when we're surrounded by the enemy? <laughs> this can't be right. But he told them, when you see that, head for the mountains. Again, that would make no sense to a Jew at that time, because they had spent their whole lives being told, safety is inside the walls. If there's an enemy, you get inside and you stay there. Jesus knew that that was not going to keep them safe this time. Those walls were going to come down. But to them, that sounded like suicide. <laughs> you want us to go out from our safety. They're looking for a physical salvation. They already had the spiritual one. But the only way to survive the coming physical judgment was to trust Jesus and his word and to do what he told them to do. It's very much like what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, 25. Jesus said, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. <laughs> and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. In other words, you cannot save yourself no matter how hard you try. So instead, cast your care upon me. Let me give you my very own spiritual life. And then heed my very own instructions on how to survive the coming judgment. <laughs> you can save your physical lives as well as your spiritual lives by letting me do for you what you need. Don't try to save yourself. Trust me. Jesus wanted them to apprehend both of their salvations. The physical salvation and the spiritual salvation. Both of them are only apprehendable by faith. By trusting in God's word, which would lead them into doing God's work. As Hebrew Christians, they could apprehend the so great salvation, spiritually speaking, but not apprehend the promised physical salvation from the coming physical judgment on Jerusalem, simply because they did not continue to believe that it was already provided and that it was just a matter of timing. They didn't know the day or the hour that the judgment was going to come upon Jerusalem. Or then they didn't know the timing of, this, of the sign that they were to look for. They just had to 
believe and keep looking <laughs> and keep believing. <laughs> they, all they knew is that before the end of the 40 years, that's all that they knew. But that is our background. We're going to start reading in chapter 3 in verse 7, and I'll end in verse 19. Just to get the big picture, I'm just going to read straight through this, <laughs> and then we'll come back and whittle it down verse by verse. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved the forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom were he that they should not enter into his rest? but to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. First off, <laughs> the rest in this passage is not heaven. <laughs> He's talking about a real place, a real land, a real rest. He's not talking about going to heaven. Many times Christians want to read that into the scripture. It's not there. It's dangerous to read in. You have to read out. The author is not talking about how to get saved or how to prevent losing your salvation. He already told them in chapter 1, your sins are already purged. That means you're saved. If you've received it, it's yours. So it's not about losing your salvation, and it's not about going to heaven. Then what is it about? <laughs> the whole point of this passage is apprehending in the here and now the promises of God. And because Christians very often don't understand the historical context or the audience relevance, they misunderstand what the author is trying to convey. He is not trying to get them spiritually saved. He's trying to get them physically saved from the coming judgment on Jerusalem. And also to teach them that there is a life of rest and peace even in the midst of all those terrible times. There is a rest and a peace that they can have. So the author here is talking about unbelieving believers. <laughs> and the Old Testament Hebrews were very good examples of unbelieving believers. <laughs> now you might think, is that a real thing? <laughs> Can someone actually be an unbelieving believer? And the answer is definitely yes. <laughs> a great example, I love the Apostle Peter. He is a foot-eating giant, you know, <laughs> he's always sticking his foot in his mouth. I love him. <laughs> he is a great example of an unbelieving believer. One night, he and his other disciples were in a boat in the midst of a horrible storm, and they feared for their life. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking along on the water and says, hey, fear not, it's I. <laughs> and Peter suddenly forgets that he and the others were just then trying really hard not to die. 
<laughs> his focus is completely changed off of their situation and put on Jesus. <laughs> he cracks me up. <laughs> so he forgets that he's trying to save his life, and he forgets what it is that Jesus might actually be there to do. And so he says to him, now he doesn't ask him to stop the storm. I think he might be a little ADD. <laughs> he's in the midst of a storm. He's bathing in water. He's trying to save his life. And they're like, whoa, oh, hey, Jesus. Forgets all about that. <laughs> Any rational man would have said, hey, Jesus, can you do something about this storm? But not Peter. <laughs> he says, see, he knew Jesus was the prototype. You can do it. And you give me a word, I can do it. So he says, if it's you, bid me to come on the water. <laughs> and he says, okay, <laughs> come. And he's got great faith. He gets out of the boat in a storm, a boat that's sinking. He's afraid he's going to die. And he steps out on the water. And he walks on water for a few seconds. <laughs> Maybe a minute. <laughs> we'll give him some grace. Maybe a minute. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the wind got extra windy. And his ADD kicked in. <laughs> it took his focus away. And he started to sink. But Peter was a smart man. He shrieked like a girl. Ah! <laughs> Jesus, save me! <laughs> and the word save is sozo. Save, heal, deliver, provide, protect, make whole. He's, I need you to save me! He already had spiritual faith for spiritual salvation. He needed a physical saving. <laughs> save me! <laughs> but Peter knew in the midst of the storm, in all of his ADD, where his physical safety, his salvation could come from. He had no way of providing it for himself. So he looked to the source of salvation, Jesus. And Jesus, I think Jesus was laughing. When I was first a Christian, I always thought Jesus was mad. <laughs> I don't think Jesus was mad. I think he's thinking, you are a hoot. <laughs> Walking on water, screaming like a girl. You're tons of fun, Peter. <laughs> and I think he was laughing. He says, why? Why did you have such puny, tiny little faith? You knew I was right there. You knew I'm the source of your salvation. You knew I, I wouldn't let you sink. Why did you have such little, tiny faith? <laughs> why did you wobble? You see, we're all wobblers. <laughs> we're all wobblers in our faith. Now, we get better at it as we learn to live and, and walk in faith. But it's not uncommon for us to wobble. It's not uncommon for us to have moments of unbelief when you're like, where are you, Jesus? <laughs> are you in this room? <laughs> but he wobbled. At that moment, he was an unbelieving it's not a bad thing. It's very normal. <laughs> and that's part of my point this morning. It's normal for us to have periods where we wobble, 
where we wish we could just stand fast and be absolutely sure of God's word to us. But sometimes the circumstances speak louder to us than the Holy Spirit. We let them be loud and we wobble. Are you really going to do this? Is this ever going to come to pass? <laughs> Especially in the area of healing. We believe we receive when we pray, but sometimes we have to continue in faith, knowing that that's what's going to change the outside. That's what's going to change our circumstances, is the continuing to believe. Now, I don't believe Jesus was mad at Peter at all. I think Jesus just took this opportunity to teach Peter some valuable lessons, <laughs> one of which was, we can't let the storms of life speak louder to us than his word to us. We must constantly look to Jesus, constantly hear Jesus, constantly lean on Jesus, and let Jesus lead us through the physical storms of our life. Jesus walked Peter back to the boat without ever calming the storm. Why didn't he calm the storm for Peter? Why did he make Peter walk in the storm back to the boat? <laughs> because in life, sometimes the storms don't change. So we have to know how to walk through them. How did Peter walk back to the boat? Upheld by the power of Jesus Christ, knowing he was safe the whole way. So I think Peter learned that day how to walk through the physical storms of life, which was by continuing to look to Jesus and continuing to let him lead us through all of the difficulties that we often face in life. And this is really, I think, the concept of Hebrews chapter 3, learning how to walk through when the mountain doesn't move, even though we've talked to it plenty. <laughs> it's still there. <laughs> you have to keep walking. You have to keep believing. And I think that's really the emphasis of chapter 3 of Hebrews. Going back then to verse 7, the author says, Wherefore? And then there's a parenthesis. <laughs> the wherefore means, just remember what I just said. And what he had just told them was how wonderful and great Jesus is. Moses is nice. Yes, you can honor Moses. But Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. Jesus is God. In the light of all of that, do this. <laughs> And then he has a thought. <laughs> I love this. He starts a sentence. It's just like me. Starts a sentence and doesn't finish it yet. Changes direction and says, oh yeah, remember this too. <laughs> Verse 7. As the Holy Ghost saith, today, if ye will, hear his voice. Now, I inserted some commas in here to make us read it slower. To make us say, today, if I will hear his voice. Not if you will hear his voice, but do you, do you desire, do you choose to hear his voice? Hearing God's voice for a believer is actually a choice. We can hear God on purpose. <laughs> we can hear God on accident. We can hear God all of the time. That's part of him coming to live inside of us. God the Father and the Son speak to us by the Holy Spirit in our thoughts, in our unction, <laughs> in our intuition. <laughs> and then he also likes to confirm his word to us 
through others, through circumstances, and through Bible reading. He's always wanting us to know he's talking. He is always talking. Always. <laughs> he likes for us to know that he's talking to us. He is communicating with us. But sometimes we're just so busy thinking our own thoughts that we have to then choose. I have to choose to be quiet. I have to choose to let you speak, give you opportunity. <laughs> when I first met Mark, God said, this is the one I've chosen for you. And I said, could you make him stop talking long enough so I can tell him I'm already saved? Because <laughs> he was witnessing up a storm. Same thing, God, could you just stop talking long enough for you to hear me? You're talking, talking, talking. You're praying, praying, praying. How about listening? <laughs> it's listening that brings forth faith. My point is, we do get to choose. We get to choose today, and we get to choose every day to either listen or not listen, to pay attention or to not pay attention. But the Holy Spirit is always speaking to us, and he's always trying to lead us into faith. The author here is encouraging his readers to listen and to let what God says sink down into their hearts so that faith can arise. We've already got faith, but it has to be activated, and it's activated by God's word. <laughs> He's saying, don't ignore what you hear, and don't ignore what you know Jesus said. Now, they knew Jesus had prophesied about the coming judgment. So going back to Moses would be actually dangerous for them instead of saving. Let faith and trust arise in your hearts from knowing that Jesus is himself God, and that he is completely faithful to his word. And he wants us to apprehend, he wants us to apprehend his promises. All the promises of God are yes and amen, yes and they're done, yes and they're yours, in Christ Jesus. The author tells them to not take after the Old Testament Israelites, who let their hard circumstances speak louder to their hearts than the words and works of their covenant-keeping God. Verse 8. Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. And you look that up in the Strong's, it'll say irritation. <laughs> Those Israelites irritated God <laughs> in the day of temptation in the wilderness. It's really easy to harden our hearts. It is easy to not listen. It's easy to not pay attention. It's easy to be too busy. It's easy to let our hard circumstances harden our heart. We let it get our attention. Just like with Peter, the wind and the storm got his attention. It took his focus off of where his supply was from. And the day of temptation here is actually referring to the entire time of the wilderness. <laughs> it says day, but it really means 40 years. <laughs> they irritated God for 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> Verse 9, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. The Israelites were notorious grumblers and complainers. They had no faith. They had no trust. They didn't believe God. They were always grumbling and complaining, and always inferring that God was not with them, or that God had failed them whenever they didn't have immediate supplies of food and water. <laughs> they never actually appreciated what God had done for them. They hadn't yet learned God is our supply. Verse 10. Therefore, wherefore, I was grieved. 
Uh, some translations say angry, and it makes people nervous when it says that God was angry with somebody. <laughs> but he was grieved with that generation. And he says, because they do always err in their heart. They have not known my ways. They haven't learned who he really was. I think this grieved is, I identify with it very much as a parent of a rebellious teenager. <laughs> Those teenagers think they know everything. <laughs> and they don't understand that the things that they choose can actually ruin their life and their future. And the parents are trying to lead and guide and direct them, and all they do is fight with their parents, not knowing that that's exactly how Old Testament Israelites were. They were always arguing with God that God was wrong. <laughs> and God was irritated. <laughs> you saw me bring you out of Egypt. They had no reason to doubt him. And verse 11, So I swear in my wrath, ye shall not enter, into my rest. Again, this is not heaven. This is the promised land. He says, I swear in my wrath that they're not going to enter into the promise that I promised because they won't continue. The Greek word for wrath includes the idea of having great or violent passion about something. And parents are very passionate about their children. God is very passionate about his children and he wants them to have what's good for them. <laughs> But the Old Covenant Israelites weren't responding to God the way he wanted. He had a great life, the happily ever after life. He said, I got it for you. It's right over here. <laughs> All you got to do is go in and take it. And they said, mm-mm. <laughs> Big scary giants. <laughs> what they didn't understand is that when you refuse God, when you refuse to do it his way, when you say, no, I won't go, no, you can't make me, <laughs> That's what they were saying. You can't make us. He says, all right, I'm going to give you your way. That's what God's wrath does. It gives you your way. <laughs> Knowing you're not going to like it. He tried to tell them, <laughs> you won't like it if you don't go in. Here's the happily ever after. Let's go into happily ever after. And they said, no, those giants will eat us. They believed their fears. They believed their circumstances more than they believed what God said to them, even though they had seen how he had greatly already delivered them. He took them out. He had the power to take them in. <laughs> so in his wrath, God lets people have what they really want their own way. So they got their own way. And they stayed in the wilderness for the next 40 years while that entire generation, 20 years and older, died off one by one, including Moses. I love that. I'm glad Moses didn't make it either. <laughs> He's like Peter. <laughs> the only ones who entered in were Joshua and Caleb. Out of all those millions of people, only two that we know of actually got to enter into the promised land. Now, all of those rebellious Israelites were still God's people. <laughs> they were still in covenant. He wanted to kill them all off, and Moses talked them out of it. <laughs> the covenant said, if you don't do this, this is what will happen. If you don't obey, then you get to die. And Moses said, eh, it won't make you look very good. How about if we 
do diff something different. So God said, okay, if you're willing to work with these people, so am I. <laughs> I mean, there's just, the story is so big. When I was trying to study for this passage in Hebrews, the stories are so big and so huge and there's so much. So I was like, oh, I need to squish it down really small. <laughs> but there's so much in those stories. I like the one about Moses when he was an unbelieving believer. It was the end of the 40 years, just about, and they ran out of water again. This is the second time. And God says, what you do is you get your staff and you get your other staff, people and the, the stick, <laughs> and you go out in front of the people and you speak to the rock. Now the first time, way back when, he had to hit the rock. He wasn't listening. He wasn't paying attention. <laughs> God said, speak to the rock. <laughs> and so he got, he got irritated with the people, and he smacks the rock. And God, in his graciousness, brings forth water for everybody. And people say, why was that so bad? Big deal. He hit the rock. He hit it once before. We know from the Apostle Paul that that rock was Christ. And one part of Moses' job was to paint pictures for those who would come later regarding Christ so that we would understand what God, the whole plan was always about Jesus. And Jesus was only smitten once for sin. He was only sacrificed once for sin. And once you have got your sins forgiven, there is no more sacrifice for sins. You must come and speak to the rock and receive what you need. By faith. I don't have to bring sacrifices. That was why he was an unbelieving believer that day. He messed up God's picture. <laughs> You're an unbelieving believer. God had a point to it all. But what I love is that all of the people who didn't go into the promised land were still God's people. He fed them for 40 years. He watered them for 40 years. He took care of them for 40 years. They were his. Even if they weren't very good at being his. <laughs> That's why this particular passage is not about heaven. It's about attaining what heaven has here on earth. You do it by grace through faith. Now, after all of that, the, the author picks up and finishes his sentence that he started in verse 7. <laughs> Wherefore, verse 12, take heed, pay attention. <laughs> Don't be like Moses, think you know what God is saying. Pay attention, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now again, this verse can sound a little scary, but it helps us to know he's not talking about their spiritual salvation. He's talking about apprehending the promises. Can a believer actually have an evil heart of unbelief? Yes! We, let's just look at it, what, what it says. Yes! <laughs> he says, take heed who brethren. Brethren, believers. <laughs> Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. I remember distinctly to this day, when God directed me to this verse over and over and over. I was a little tiny baby in the Lord, <laughs> and I knew nothing. And my little holiness church knew nothing too. <laughs> and I had questions about why, how do you get this faith stuff to work? 
what's my problem, God? How do, I, how do you get your prayers answers? Because all the information I was getting from church wasn't working. And God kept leading me to this scripture, and I'd say, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. Because <laughs> I thought it was saying, you're an unbeliever. You're not saved. Another week would go by, I'm still asking God to show me, what's my problem? He gives me this scripture again, and I, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. After about four weeks of this, God says, stop that. You can't rebuke me, it's me. <laughs> I was like, oh, 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 I'm in trouble then. Because <laughs> I must have an evil heart of unbelief. <laughs> and I have no idea what that means. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't do it, so I had to do some digging. And one of the first things I found out is that the word evil doesn't mean wicked or sinful. And many translations just fill in what they think it should mean. <laughs> you have a sinful heart of unbelief. No. You have a wicked heart of unbelief. No. I have a hurtful heart of unbelief. The word there is proneros. I have it for you. It means hurtful, full of hurt. <laughs> meaning things that are bad for you. That's what God calls evil. If it's bad for you, it's evil. <laughs> it's evil in its effect or influence. It's root word, ponos, which means toil, anguish, and pain. This really helped me a lot. <laughs> My heart wasn't wicked and it wasn't sinful. It was just full of hurt. It was full of stuff that was bad for me. It was full of stuff that caused anguish and pain. Stuff that caused me to have unbelief. And biblically speaking, our heart is made up of what we think and feel. So what I was thinking and feeling was causing me to have unbelief, because I didn't know nothing. <laughs> I was an unbelieving believer without even trying to be an unbelieving believer. <laughs> I was just a baby believer who didn't know anything. Now, this verse qualifies what happens to someone who has a hurtful heart of unbelief, a heart full of hurt. It causes them to depart from the living God. This is where people get afraid. <laughs> Let me tell you what this does not mean. It does not mean that a person loses their salvation. How do we know this? The story about the Israelites. Did they lose their covenant? No, they didn't lose their salvation. They just didn't apprehend what God wanted for them. He had this big happy ending life and they just said no thanks. <laughs> That's turning away from the living God. They didn't lose their relationship or their covenant. They simply lost everything that God wanted them to have. That's reality for all of us. By the choices we make, we manufacture our future. If we're listening to God, he has a good future. He will let us have our own way. He will let us reap wrath, which means bad stuff. And it's our own fault, not God's. The Israelites departed from the living God in that they did not follow him into the promised land. That's all that that means. <laughs> the word depart can mean to withdraw oneself from or to stand apart from, which is exactly what they did. They said, no, we don't want to do that. <laughs> Spiritually speaking, we can't do that. Because we are one spirit with the living God. We have an everlasting righteousness. But emotionally and mentally we can do that. Because we can believe the scary thoughts and feelings to the point that we don't fully trust God to do what he said he would do. 
just like Peter. <laughs> we can get out there on the water and start drowning. <laughs> we, like the Old Testament Israelites, can choose to not follow God into our land of promise and our land of rest because of fear. And that's exactly what the Hebrews who received this letter were in danger of doing. They were in danger of not trusting God that, and trusting that he was able to actually take them safely into the great escape he had promised. It is exactly parallel to the old covenant Israel. And these people know these stories. That's why the, the author is using them. He says, yes, look, look, same, same. <laughs> Don't be like them. <laughs> you have a choice. They were also in danger of leaving God mentally and emotionally. For a dead Moses, for a Moses who couldn't talk to them, for a Moses who, who no longer could lead them, all he could do was condemn them for their sin. Don't go back to a dead Moses. Stick with Jesus. <laughs> but they wanted to save themselves. They wanted to alleviate their own pain and suffering their own way. Instead of getting a word from the living God. The majority of the Hebrews receiving this letter weren't unbelievers. They were simply believers filled with anxious, painful thoughts and feelings who were looking for the land of promise and the rest of faith, but they were tempted to try to provide the way of escape themselves in their own way. Hence the warnings not to let their hearts become hard through inattention to God or through the discouragement and unbelief caused by their suffering. People sometimes get into hard places, bad things happen, and they incorrectly think, God did this. They walk away. They leave the living God. Now, he goes with them whether they like it or not. <laughs> so yeah, you can in your mind think you're far away from God, but he's right there with you. <laughs> he, said he, doesn't, he never leaves and never forsakes. Never. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says this next verse. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For years and years and years, I just thought sin hardens your heart. It lies to you. Well, all sin is based on lies. Do this, it'll make you happy. Big lie. <laughs> Do this, it'll meet your need. Big lie. <laughs> sin never answers a need. Just delays it. The word exhort actually means to comfort, encourage, and pray for. And the phrase, one another, how they've interpreted, actually includes the idea of praying for yourself and each other. It actually is much bigger than they translated. And do it daily. <laughs> Why would he want us to pray daily? <laughs> because we need to hear God daily. And we need to be in constant communication with him daily. And we need the comfort and encouragement and prayers of our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially in difficult times. In difficult times, we are more tempted to have thoughts and feelings of unbelief, which can cause us to become hardened or insensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, which could entice us to then cast away our confidence in God's promises and take matters into our own hands. I think the deceitfulness of sin refers to the sin specifically of unbelief because it is the only sin the author talks about in the entire book, the sin of unbelief. All sin stems from not trusting God. Romans 14, 23 tells us that whatever is not of faith is sin. 
which means it simply misses the mark. The intended mark is always Christ. Our faith is always directed to Christ. Consider Christ. (laughs) It's all about Christ. Verse 14. For we are made partakers of Christ continuously, or continually, if we hold the beginning of our confidence fast unto the end. This is another one of those verses where people get scared. See right here, if I don't hold my confidence until the end, then I won't be saved. It causes fear in people because they don't understand what he's talking about. What end is he talking about? In chapter 1, he tells us it is the last days. There is an end of the age. The judgment is coming. That's the judgment we want to avoid. (laughs) Physical judgment. Hold your confidence fast until the end, until the end of the age, when everything falls apart. You are partakers of Christ, period. There really should be a period right there. You are partakers of Christ. But he wants us to partake of him continuously. (laughs) How do you partake of Christ continuously? By faith. This is another one of those we statements that can be a bit confusing. It does not say we will be made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence, which is faith, steadfast unto the end. It also does not say that a believer proves his genuineness by being steadfast in his faith until he dies. What it does say is that the we in this verse, the Hebrew believers alive at that time in history, they have already been made partakers and partners and sharers. That's what that word means. All of that. (laughs) Of Christ and with Christ. That's also included. It is what God has already done to all believers. It's a done deal. He's already made us a partaker of Christ, a partner with Christ, and a sharer with Christ. That's not undoable. (laughs) It's a finished work with a continuous effect. That's why I use the word continually. It is a finished work like salvation. Spiritual is a finished work. It's all done. We can't add anything to it. It's already done, but it has a lasting effect. You are forever saved. He will never leave you or forsake you. Can you turn away and have your own way in your own life? Yes, but it will be a mess. (laughs) But he will be with you even in the mess. So, but he wants us to understand that we can continuously partake, but it's all by faith. Just like the Old Testament Israelites who needed to remain in faith or remain faithful in order to enter into the promised land, in the same way, these new covenant Hebrew believers needed to continue to believe that that the promise of escape was in fact going to come to pass because you can't see it, you wonder if it's really coming. (laughs) But he reminds them, no, you are. You have been made partakers and sharers with Christ in and in entering into the promised deliverance. It's a real thing. It's really going to happen, but you have to believe it because if you don't believe it, what are you going to do? Jump out of the frying pan and into the fire. You can't save yourself. Trust Christ. That's the point. Next, the writer returns to warning his readers not to forsake hearing the voice of God. It's the same exact scriptures again, just about. But he's trying to tell them, look, this really is the point. (laughs) Don't be like your forefathers. Don't get right up to next to the promise and then say, no thanks. It's too scary. He wanted his new covenant Hebrews to recognize that just hearing the word of God alone wasn't enough 
to keep their hearts soft, attentive, and full of faith. They didn't have Bibles. <laughs> I don't know what I would do without my Bible, quite honestly. Because God talks me through the Word constantly. That's His favorite way to talk to us. So that whatever we hear Him saying in our head, He's going to verify in His Word. He likes to confirm His Word. But just hearing it wasn't enough. They had to pay attention to it. It's in chapter 1 where he said, you have to pay more abundant heed, super abundant attention to this so great salvation. Why? Because you'll let it go. It's not that it's not yours. It's not that you can't have it. It's just that you've got to wait for the right time. And in the meantime, you have to keep believing. Don't wobble. <laughs> you might wobble on the wrong day. <laughs> they had to choose to believe the word of God and act on the word of God. Faith doesn't just hear. Peter didn't go, yay, he invited me on the water. That's not faith. Yay, I believe I can do it. That's not faith. Getting out of the boat was faith. It was, I trust you to keep me alive on the water. <laughs> faith usually has a corresponding action. It's doing what God says. The believers at that time needed to trust in the God who spoke to them, the God who had shown himself overwhelmingly powerful and faithful. But the Old Testament Hebrews kept choosing, choosing, they kept choosing to not believe and to not behave according to the word. Because of that, most of the Old Testament Israel found out that getting their own way really wasn't what they thought it was going to be. Instead of a life flowing with milk and honey in the land of promise, they wandered around in the wilderness until they died earlier than they should have. That was their just judgment. That was their covenant. They got what they really wanted. And that's what we see here in the last four verses as well. The Old Testament Hebrews chose what they got. And the new covenant believers have the same kind of opportunity to choose. To choose faith and to choose a life of faith as partners and partakers and sharers in Christ and with Christ. The final scriptures in this chapter begin in verse 15 and in verse 19. And I have it for you in a remedy paraphrase translation. Because it was so redundant from the first set, I changed the translation. Makes it a little easier. <laughs> I am just going to read through them because it's very self-explanatory. In verse 15. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice offering healing and restoration, do not reject the true remedy, which is God's love, and darken your minds as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard the message of healing and of healing truth, but instead rebelled and preferred lies? Were they not all those whom Moses led out of Egypt? And with what was God angry for 40 years? Was it not with having to watch his children persistently reject his healing ways and slowly die and fall in the desert? And whom did God tell that they could never get well and find rest as long as they rebelled against their only remedy, if not those who died in the desert? So we see that they were not able to get well, live and have life and, and, and faith, and enter into God's rest because they didn't trust him or accept the truth that he revealed. The King James in the last verse here says, and they could not enter 
the remedy says they were not able. They could not enter because of their unbelief. Because they believed their circumstances, because they thought that the God who took them out of Egypt didn't have the power to take them in to the promise. They chose to disbelieve. And because of that, that's the only reason they could not enter into the promised land. God wanted so much more for them, but they would not hear the voice of God and believe. I remember one time I said, I don't think I believe this promise. And he says, well, choose it. I was like, I I can do that? (laughs) I can just choose to believe this? (laughs) Yes. This is the truth. Accept that it's the truth and put it in you. I believe it. Choose it. I choose to believe it. I choose to believe what God says. And faith comes. (laughs) God had given them the land by his great grace, but they would not believe that God could enable them to overcome the big scary giants. They simply did not trust God with their lives. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> they were unbelieving believers, and they chose to stay that way. The writer of Hebrews echoes God's heart's desire for the New Covenant Hebrews to enter in to all that God had waiting for them, which included the great escape from the judgment coming upon Jerusalem. But just like the Old Testament Hebrews, they had to choose it for themselves. They could remain unbelieving believers, Or they could choose to believe and let God through Christ be the author and finisher of their faith. They could let Christ take them into the life that he promised them, the salvation he promised them. Salvation isn't just going to heaven when we die. Salvation is heaven coming to live inside and us walking out that heaven here and now. But it is a continuous partaking, a continuous hearing. We can get real dull, (laughs) if we don't spend time in his presence, if we don't spend time in his word, he wants to give us everything our heart desires. He just wants to do it his way. Amen? Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Father God, for the examples of your word, that you have hidden so many truths in your word for us to find and to discover. We thank you, Father God, that we don't have to be afraid of what looks like scary verses in the Bible thank you that you said that you gave us an everlasting righteousness and that that righteousness can never be taken away from us. We thank you, Father God, that we've already died. The sins have already been paid. They're never going to be held against us. We died with Christ, and now we are partakers of his life and his wisdom and his power and all that he is. Father God, help us to see how big our God is on the inside of us, that we will believe that whatever scary giant pops its head up, we can say, no problem, you are my bread. I will eat you. (laughs) I will destroy you. You will not destroy me. We thank you, Father God, that you give us faith. You give it to us as a gift. You say, believe, and I will help you believe. (laughs) But you also don't scold us when we find ourselves in the middle of the water and we get a little wobbly. You simply take hold of us. And show us that you are bigger than any storm. You are bigger than any giant. You are bigger. You are greater. And Father God, we thank you for all that you are and all that your word reveals to us. In Jesus' name, amen.